Welcome in everyone to another episode of our Creighton Volleyball Wrap-Up Podcast. I'm Matt DeMarinas from whiteandbluereview.com, and I'm joined as always by my co-host and the brains of the operation, former Blue Jay Megan Ballinger. Um, I know we just came at you with a with a Nebraska reaction, but the way the schedule's gone, it's time to react to some more matches. I think Bill. I think after this, it's going to settle into a normal, a little bit of a normal routine, don't you think? Yeah, for it. sure. They've had so many matches, so. So I just so did the math on it. It's nine matches in the first sixteen days of the season. That's that's a pretty. That's, that's a pretty. That's a pretty good pace, right? That's a lot. That is a lot of matches, yeah. Not to mention school starting at the same time, and then you should go ahead and practice. And then I know there's some pre-meds on the team. I think there's like two or three pre-med students on the team, nursing students, those kind of things. So their schedules are just out of whack, beyond belief. So, So, yeah, where we last left you all, um, Creighton had just... Uh, dropped a five-set match to Nebraska on Wednesday. This weekend, Friday, Saturday, they played two matches at the Omaha Invite at Baxter Arena. They played Florida State on Friday evening, early evening-ish, and then turned around late afternoon, early evening, and played uh, UNL. Both of those matches went five sets, so... It's been a bit of a grind for the Blue Jays. They've had three five-setters in four days if you're keeping track at home. And I went back all the way through their history. And they've never done that before. <laughs> so <laughs> it was unprecedented. In 2006, they had uh, – they they did have three set three, – in 2006, they had three five-setters in a four-match span. But that covered nine days. Yeah. And then Megan played in three straight five setters, obviously, at the NCAA tournament in 2016. Oh. That was also over a nine-day span because it was one weekend and the next weekend. And then in 2020, in the, the COVID year, that was all whack. They also played three straight five setters, but that was also over a nine-day span. So they've never played three five setters in a four-day span before. Um, so that's where I'm going to key up my first question for Megan is just how is that physically possible to do that? <laughs> um, gosh, I guess, I mean, that's why you train obviously in the off season so hard um, just to have the endurance to be able to go for that many days and play that much volleyball. But um, I know at one point I was like, Nora's arm is going to fall off. She's taking so many swings. Like, it's just, it's crazy. But yeah, I mean, you just, you practice for it. And I mean, you can't really emulate that very much, you know, because you're not going to go that long in practice for that many days um, when you're in season. So yeah, it's just, you power through and work really hard to recover as much as you can. And however many days you have until you have to turn around and play again. You know, you know it is interesting because I think, um, I think the volleyball team, because you can practice indoors in a climate controlled setting, I, I don't know if this is part of the reason, but you know, you guys go through two a day still. Um, yeah, no other, no other teams do that, like basketball, soccer, don't go through two a days. Um, and then your normal practice, like 
once you're out of the two day routine, your normal practice is about two, two and a half hours, right? You know, afternoon, evening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then you factor in your off season conditioning with Brad, um, strength and conditioning coach Brad Schmidt. So like that, I mean, you know, when you, it seems unbelievable to someone like me watching them play three straight, three five setters in four days, especially with it like, it's not like they played the same time windows, right? They played. Yeah. You know, it was a twenty four hour period or a, a seventy two hour period, I guess, for. Nebraska, Florida State, and then the turnaround from Omaha to to Omaha from Florida State was a lot quicker too. So it was like a, it was a short window, but it just seems incredible. I mean, I think the thing that, and I know we talked a lot about Nebraska already, but I think the prevailing thing for me when I'm trying to put those performances in context was was this. Like I just think this team is really starting to show some toughness that's probably that I think they're showing a level of toughness that bodes well for um, difficult situations, especially like Big East tournament play or, you know, when you're trying to clinch a Big East title and you know, these, these points are important um, down the stretch of the regular season. And then the NCAA tournament too. when when, when you have to put runs together, you have to rally, you have to respond because they, you know, None, neither these three matches were all different. You know what I mean? Like the Nebraska match, they were down 0-2 and they came back to force the f- fifth set. Against Florida State, there was a lot of extra, like, bon- I don't know what you guys call it. You call it overtime. It's just bonus volleyball, right? Like where you go past 25 and you have extra to keep points. Yeah. Yeah. Extra points. And then, um, you know, you turn around after that and it's UNO and you go into extra points in set one and you lose. Yeah. But you respond, you win two, um, you dominate three, then you drop four. And you're like, good Lord, what's, you know, and then you're down 10-7 in the fifth. So it's like, what's, you know, it just felt like there was, there was moments where it's like, all right, Creighton, here's your, here's, here's some adversity. How are you going to handle it? It just, it felt like there were different questions in each match, different, different um, situations. And they responded to all of them. You know, even though they lost the Nebraska match, forcing that forcing a fifth set against Nebraska is not easy when you're in an 0-2 hole. And then responding the way they did against Florida State, grinding through that after just playing Nebraska, and then digging out of um, you know, digging out of holes against which or against um, UNO. That's that's really impressive to me. And I think it 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 has a long term projectability with this team in terms of how they're going to handle difficult situations. Don't you think? Yeah, for sure. I think the one word that like came to mind just looking at this weekend was like gritty. Like I just feel like a lot of the sets that they won were very gritty. And like the Omaha, like every single set was decided by two points except for set three. So that was a very, very tight match and it really could have gone either way. Um, so yeah, I just think like the grit and the tenacity that they showed, I think over this weekend and having to rebound from that really emotional loss on Wednesday and then get back into it and then go and play two five setters I think that's just so hard and like you said that probably won't happen again so I think you know maybe they're over prepared now like for a situation where that would happen in an NCAA tournament and where you have to play back-to-back five setters when you found yourself in a season like you know and you, and you dealt with something maybe in September that came around again in November and December did you ever like was did you did you literally say all right you know, in huddle in a moment, like we've done this before. We got this. Like think back to this moment. 
do you feel like these moments in September, you know, if they find themselves in similar situations again in December, they can literally tell themselves, hey, this is just like Nebraska. This is just like, you know, yeah. State. This is just like that. Yeah, I think it's hard for me to pinpoint like a specific match that I can think about. I don't I'm so bad. I never remember like specific matches or what happens in them. But um, yeah, I think so. I mean, when you've done it, I think you can look back and say, okay, we've played five setters. Like if they were to go the entire season and then be in the NCAA tournament and have to go to five sets and have never done it that season, you might have some question marks about what happens. But I think at this point, you know, this is like worst case scenario. We have to go to five sets and play a team really tight. Like we're prepared to do that in the future. And I think you can look back and say, Hey, we won two really tough five setters um, after have just playing, played a really good team two days ago. So I think what better opportunity do you have than to just like go neck and neck with the team and down the road, it's going to help you in some way. And I think it'll be interesting to see, you know, as we kind of like look out to see if maybe, there's a five setter down the road or a, a set that's really tight that, you know, if this set that it's really tight and it goes their way, I think we can look back and be like, Oh, you know, I think maybe this helped them. Let's uh, let, let's break down the Florida state match just a little bit here. Okay. Peyton had a 129 digs in that match. And so that's the second most they've ever had in a match in school history. You have to go back all the way to, you know, what, what year were you born? 96. Okay, so you were just a, you were a little you were a little kid, so uh, two thousand is the last date. That's the only the October thirteenth, two thousand. Sorry, at Illinois State they had one hundred and thirty one digs. So that's that's I think that's a different scoring era too, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, yeah, that's the only match that succeeded the one hundred twenty nine they had against Florida State on Friday, and it felt like it too. There were so many long rallies when you look at that match. It's just it was. This sounds silly to say, and I bet from a player standpoint, they really don't like hearing that from a, when from like fans and observers and things like that. But it just was exhausting to watch. You know, <laughs> it's just like, oh my god, this is so grueling. All these points are taking forever. No one can get the ball down. Everyone's just laying out. Um, you know, keeping the ball up, getting block touches where you have to just reset and swing again. Um, it was just very hard to put the ball down for for both teams. Honestly, it was crazy, wasn't it? Yeah, that's so frustrating as a hitter, too. Like, it's so annoying because you think you're like, oh, this is a great swing, and they get it back up, and you're like, oh, let's transition again. So, yeah, those are one of those things you just got to stay in it, but very, very frustrating as a hitter. <laughs> What's the exhilaration like when you win a transition when you win a transition point? It's, I don't know, it's really fun. I think especially when you work so hard and you have to transition so many times to, like, get a mm-hmm. kill, I think – that part of it just makes it a little bit sweeter rather than, you know, it's one set and then it's over. Um, those long rallies are just so exciting. And to win them, I think it's such a momentum swinger. So that's the one thing where it's like if Crane comes out on top, I think the momentum kind of goes in their way. And you might see a team, you know, rack up a few more points at that at that stage. Now, I feel like, <clears throat> excuse me, I feel like the those transition points, those long rallies, when you when the team puts the ball down after those, you know, it gets a clean kill too. I don't know if necessarily like yeah. if the if the if the exhilaration comes when the other team just kind of has no legs left and they put the ball in the net and you kind of survive the point. But I think when a team, <laughs> you know, when a team is in a you know c- catching themselves in a long rally and they've had a couple, you know, a couple of days where they've had to just push the ball over and defend again where they don't even get a swing off. I think when a team wins that that type of point. 
that those are the ones that really blow the roof off the joint. Like the, I think the crowd responds in a different way to those type of points. And I imagine for the players, it has to feel kind of the same way because you feed off that energy, you know, one way or the other, whether it's against you or for you. Right. Yeah. I think like, yeah, like you said, a nice like clean pill in that type of situation or just like a huge stuff block. I think those yeah. are the two things where it's just like such a, a thing that hypes up your team. And I think you'll see the bench go crazy. I mean, the coaches will get into it. I think everyone on the court, even though they're exhausted, will be really excited and be like, okay, let me take a breath now. Um, yeah. But yeah, even the crowd too, I think those are the things that they're excited. You know, they're on their feet. They're excited to see those things happen. Yeah. Why do volleyball players smile so much? Why? Are you guys, are you guys trained to do that? It's a to thing. Smile? Yeah, it's, it's definitely a thing you talk about, like having your eyes, like walking eyes with people and like being happy. Okay. Definitely. It's I definitely know, a I, thing you have to train. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, it looks like you have to train it because I, if there's a sport that I think is more suited for the F bomb, it's volleyball. Cause there's so much frustration. You know what I mean? <laughs> Cause you can get a perfect yeah. first ball set, like nail the pass, nail the set, and just miss the line by like an inch. You know what I mean? Oh, That's yeah. like, you know what I mean? You just want to curse yourself out. Or, or if you get stuff blocked and you don't go high hands, like, when you know you should be yeah. going high hands, like you don't want that back in your face. Like that's, that's a moment, but everybody just keeps coming back to the huddle. And it's like, you know, smile, pump yourself up, get ready for the next point. You know what I mean? It's, it's just very interesting. The psychology. <laughs> I think it depends who you are. I think I would like curse under my breath and then I'd be like, all right, we're happy. Let's go. <laughs> like, <laughs> Moving best on. Best of both worlds here. Like I'm pissed on myself, but it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. I think you did. I thought you, I thought you were one of the players that you could see played angry sometimes i think it worked oh, in your favor for sure. so for, yeah i played so much better when i was pissed off so much better yeah. i think that's i think that's uh translatable we can go back for that and look at the data <laughs> on that <sighs> just find her best matches but like yep she was pissed off that day um so yeah okay but let's let's tie nebraska into florida state here i know i don't want to spend a lot of time talking about nebraska because i think we already beat that one down but like that's two straight six two offenses that creighton has faced in a row um, I think defensively they handled both of them pretty well. So does that give you some uh reinforce some confidence in, in Creighton's defensive style or at least their ability to scheme that you feel like, you know, a 6-2 offense is kind of unique. It's not something you see all the time. The 5-1 is far more traditional, right? But with a 6-2 comes a lot of challenges because there's a lot of hitters on the floor for their team. So it's, it's a little bit more difficult to deal with because they can kind of play the whole net and you're, you're really kind of guessing as a blocker, right? Um, I don't know. So the, those two matches, when you pair them together and you see the way Creighton performed defensively in both of them, does it does it kind of reinforce some things in terms of stylistic, stylistically defensively that Creighton can handle that offense pretty well going forward? Yeah, I think I think they can, and it'll be interesting to see if they face many many teams that run a six two because, like you said, the five one just seems to be preferred by most coaches and teams. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think they're prepared. I think all three of their most recent games, they've done a really nice job defensively. So, mm -hmm. I don't feel like that's kind of in the question. I think the hardest thing to do, like in that situation, is the blocking schemes. Um, just kind of like training your eyes to not have to worry about a, a live setter and dumping and you're more focused on the hitter. So I think in some instances, it's a little bit easier because it's like more straight up, like you know what to expect. Sometimes setters get kind of sneaky and it can be kind of hard to be like, okay, do I need to go with her or, you know, what are we doing here? So 
I think there's pros and cons to both, but yeah, they've mm-hmm. done a nice job. And I think, I mean, it'll help them if they do face a 6 2 going forward. I think the other thing that maybe sticks out to me is they, those were two 6 2 offenses, but they were also physical. Like Florida State was pretty, Florida State wasn't as physical as Nebraska, but, you yeah. know, just from the bird's eye view we got watching them, at least, I could, it obviously translates different when you're on the court, I imagine, but um, it just seemed like they were taking good, hard, aggressive, powerful swings and they were. They were really pretty athletic. Uh, you know, it just seemed like from a physicality standpoint, those were two, you know, back-to-back 6-2 offenses that featured a lot of physical, you know, athletes on the other side of the net for Creighton to deal with. And I, I think it's encouraging to see the way they perform defensively against those two systems, especially with the way Florida State and Nebraska's rosters are put together. Yeah, and I'm, I'm sure that's, you know, part of it. Like, they're just like, we have so many good hitters. Like, let's run a 6-2. Obviously, I mean, that's what Nebraska had talked about, you know, that they have so many, they have so much depth. And Florida State, it kind of just seemed the same way. So, um, you know, I think that's something Creighton could potentially do too, a 6-2 if they wanted to. I mean, they have a lot of hitter options. So, yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting to see if it helps them. And um, I can't recall many teams, like, in the Big East running a 6-2. But, um, yeah, we'll see what happens. Yeah, that's true. I think Marquette once upon a time did it one year. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Can't really remember once, but I think they they ran it for one year. Um, but I mean, Creighton, as much as that's a rivalry, Creighton kind of has a pretty solid edge in that, so it didn't really affect. I don't know if Marquette had more success that year or less, but I just remember for you know for that certain season. I can't even remember which one it was. I think you were on the team though. So I re- yeah, I recall them running a six two like during my yeah. time there. Yeah. Um, all right. So let's switch gears to the to the UNO match then. That was a really tricky one. I don't know if if you, I think UNO has gotten better physically. Sir, I think they're better physically than they were last year to me. But I think the thing that was really tricky for Creighton was tempo a little bit. They ran Oh, yeah. They ran they ran fast, like even out of system, they ran fast. So I think it was a big-time guessing game for Creighton defensively because sometimes they would have their block in the right spots, and then sometimes, you know, you know, it's a clean kill off or a clean swing off even, you know what I mean? And, and it's just the back row defender kind of isolated if they can get it up or not. It's up to them. But did, did you feel like that was tricky, um, UNO's tempo, in terms of getting blocks set up and things like that? Because, you know, I think it's more predictable, obviously, if you can serve them out of system, which some Creighton servers did. I think Keely Davis had a good serving match, which kind of she always does, you know. I think Kendra had a really good serving match. Um, you know, I think Ellie Bolton had a solid serving match. So I think there was there were some servers for Creighton that were able to get UNO out of system pretty consistently. But, you know, I thought UNO passed really well. And then again, I think Tempo was a big deal. I think Creighton had a difficult time, you know, with block setup because of how fast UNO was running their offense. Yeah, I agree 100%. I thought, um, obviously, the, the outside bus, Mariah bus, she was on fire, like, all night. Um, but, yeah, the balls that Sammy was, Sammy Clarkson was setting to her on the outside, I just thought were a great tempo, like, for what they needed to do because they did beat Creighton's block. And Creighton even tried to move out, I think, and take, like, mostly line, and she would still get their hands. Um, and then the other thing I noticed was their libero, like the tempo that she set to the outside too was was very fast. Like it wasn't a high loopy ball that you're used to seeing from that, you know, second secondary setter, but she still ran that with some good tempo, which I thought I just haven't seen much. Um, and they had success with it, honestly. And then I think they did a good job getting their middles involved too. Um, so I think just all around it's hard when that when that offense is so fast too, those pin blockers 
are out already. They're not making a move out because you don't have time. So then it leaves gaps in the middle. And I thought they were able to expose that part of it too. For sure. What did you think after the first set? Like, I think the score was 31 29. Was yeah. that the final? 29. Yeah. Yeah. How'd you feel? Well, give me, give me, give me your honest impressions. Like what you thought. Cause I, I went into the day. Here's what, here's where my frame of mind was. I went into the day knowing that it was their, first of all, it was their third match in four days. So forget the fact that they went five. That's what I was thinking. First of all. Yeah. Um, and Nora, <laughs> Nora against Florida state took 93 swings in the five sets. So just for context, yeah. that's a school record, right? But I feel like that un- that's an understatement because it's not just a school record. The previous record was 77. She took 93. So it's not like it's not like she just, you know, surpassed it. She blew past it. You know what I mean? And the funny thing was she was she got her career high in kills against Florida State, but she was kind of upset with herself because she had 12 errors. You know, it's yeah. just a, it's, it's, when you put the whole picture together, it's wow, 28 kills. She's thinking, yeah, but I hit the ball 93 times like I should have more kills than that if I hit the ball 93 times you know so <laughs> yeah. um that's what I so that's part of the thing I was thinking of was Keely Nora um Hendra like Kiara who's working her way back right you know those type of players that uh you know I'm just thinking like gosh they just lost a first set grinder 31 29 after they've played Florida State and Nebraska in five sets two of the last three days I don't know how this goes. You know what I mean? I think there's only so much you can expect because how much energy do you have after that? You know what I mean? So what were you, what were you, that's where my frame of mind was at that point. What were you thinking after they dropped that first set where it went extra points? Um, I mean, I honestly just thought like UNO looked really good. So I think that part for me was a little bit surprising just because like we played them so much. And I, obviously I think this was, probably, I mean, the best they've ever looked when Kratos played them, right? But I just was really impressed with them. And, you know, I thought they were disruptive to what Creighton's used to seeing with just their tempo and defensively, too. I thought, I mean, both teams I thought were great last night. Um, and you and I thought, you know, made Creighton really work for it. And so that's extra swings and everything. So, yeah, part of me was kind of like, I don't know if they have, you know, how much they have left in the tank just because of how much volleyball they have played and, how much they rely on, you know, certain people like Keely and Nora and how many swings they have. And I, at that point, you know, you don't really have a number three or number four that's going to carry such a huge load for you. So I think that part of it was just like in question, but they showed up and their conditioning and everything paid off. So it was a good Yeah, that was, if that was even a question, it's been answered. So for sure, Creighton's yeah. a well-conditioned, well-conditioned team. I think, you know, the maybe the gut check moment of the season because I think I think Nebraska was a chance for one when you look at you're down 0-2 I think if they had finished that that probably would have like shot their confidence through the roof but I also think they got some confidence just by making it taking it to the to the to the final set you know what I mean so I don't know how much true disappointment they could have. I think you look, you can probably go back and isolate certain situations or certain sequences of points where you're like, gosh, if we had just been more aggressive here, what happens to, you know, how does this fifth set go? Or, you know, if we're sharper at in set two at the end, do we even, you know, are we one, one going to the locker room, you know, and then what is our, what is the way we played in three and four? How does that translate? Do we finish that before evening goes five? 
But I just I don't know. I just I just think about that match in a different way. I feel like they 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 got a lot out of that from a confidence standpoint. So then I'm looking at Florida State and I'm like, all right, you know, I think that they think they're better than Florida State. Um but grinding through a five setter, you're like, all right, that was a good match. Florida State's a good team. We expect them to be in the NCAA tournament. That's gonna be it's typical, right? And then but then you come then you come and round it out. And I don't know if you guys think this is players. But you're down. You lose a, a, an extra one and one against UNO, right? And then you're down twenty-two to nineteen in set two. Okay, so you're staring at bookend losses <clears throat> to your in-state teams. Right? You lost to Nebraska in five. Um, and now you're down one zero to UNO. They have a three-point lead on you with three points to go. They basically can side out three times, and they're and then they win. They don't have to worry about. Sustaining runs anymore. They just have to trade points with you and it's over. Like for them to recover from that and 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 pull that set out is is crazy to me because not only we've 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 set up the 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 stage where they were obviously physically up against it, right? So that was like the mental check time. Like what what's gonna happen here? And Nora Sis is is an interesting player. Because she is so positive and like happy go lucky and just seems like she just enjoys playing volleyball, right? But I think we saw a killer at the end of game two. You know what I mean? Let me let me just like so she had on her first twenty eight swings against UNO, she had six kills and four errors. So she's hitting as an outside pin, she's hitting 071. You're not going to win volleyball matches like that. Okay, that's incredibly inefficient for your for your high volume and you're be hitting that. Okay, that was at twenty two to nineteen. She got five kills on her next five swings. You know, and three of her, she got three kills on her next three swings to help them win the set, and then she continued it in set three, which helped them blow the set open. The rest of the match, though, like, stop it right there. Six kills, four, four errors, 28 attempts. When they're down 22 to 19, okay, she's at 071. The rest of the match, she had 15 kills on 30 swings and didn't commit a single error. That's absurd. That's crazy. You're talking about incredibly inefficient numbers for a pin hitter to basically look like a middle blocker. You know what I mean? With a 500 hitting percentage. That's what she, that's the stark contrast she had of a match. And I don't think someone who's just like, next point, next point, next point, you know, always have a positive mindset. I don't think you can carry that over just with a positive mindset. I think you have to have a killer instinct. And I think we saw her killer instinct on Saturday. I just don't know how you can go from being that bad to that good like that, unless you've got a killer instinct within you. You know what I mean? Am I off base on that? Or do you think it's just positive reinforcement? I mean, I don't know. Like, obviously, she is very joyful all the time when she plays. So I don't know. I mean, I was never like like that. So I don't. I don't know. <laughs> I couldn't tell you, but I mean, she turned something around. I don't yeah. know if she just kept going at it, and then you know she saw one fall, and she's like, "All right, I'm going to be super aggressive." And I think, I mean, she kept being aggressive. I thought and putting the ball in good places. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's something down. I mean, you have to be competitive to be at, yeah. playing at this level. So 
I mean, I'm sure she's uber competitive and whether or not she shows it outwardly, I think obviously like there's some of that in her. Yeah, for sure. That's a, that's a better way to put it, but yeah, I just don't, I don't know how you can flip that switch without having some, you know, I called it FU mode. I always call it FU mode when someone just goes and like takes over. Like they, <laughs> you already know they're really good, right? But then they just go to a level you can't match. I think that's that's the difference. That was that's what makes players who are good, you know, great and special. Like they're just levels to this thing, you know. And I think UNO is thinking at twenty two nineteen, like second team All American. You know, she had twenty eight kills yesterday. Whatever, man. We got we're we're defending her well. We're we're getting in front of her. We're we're making her. You know. We're making her a high volume hitter where she's not putting the ball down. She's not killing us right now. Like we got this. And then all of a sudden they didn't have it. You know what I mean? And there was nothing they could do about it. Cause that's, that's a set. And that's basically two sets right there where they shut her down and she didn't come in an error the rest of the way. They didn't block her. She didn't go out of bounds, like 15 kills on 30 swings for an outside. That's, that's, that's playing with your food almost at that point. You're how good you're playing. So I just think that's like that's that's special stuff. I think he showed that, and it's interesting to see it because you you do see, you know, she's always in a good mood. She's always happy, even when she gets blocked. It's like and you're kind of wondering, you know, you when you see that from a from the outside looking in, you're like, where you know how how gritty is this player? And then she throws you, and that's when you're like, oh yeah, she's she's a badass, you know. <laughs> yep. I know you've played with some badasses. I mean, I think you're one yourself. You're a little bit modest about it, but, you know, for the purposes of this podcast. But she laughs about it, too, because she's even she's trying to hide it. But, but you you know what it's like to play with someone who's who knows they're bad. You know what I mean? And knows they can take over, right? And you know what it takes to be, to yeah. be that. Because uh, you have to just have a, a killer mindset. Because you, you can't worry about anything. You can't worry about the crowd. You can't worry about a bad set. You can't worry about a bad pass. You can't worry about a, you know, a myth hit. Um, you can't worry about a, a blocker or whatever the other team's doing. You have to have just like a mindset that's just like I'm putting this ball down, no matter what's going on, right? Yeah, you gotta have it, and I think especially at in game, and I think that's the part I think that's so impressive is that in game she just kind of flipped the switch and she was just nails after that, mm-hmm. so. And then it carried on, obviously, the rest of the match. But, yeah. yeah, I think it's impressive. And I think for somebody that takes as many swings as she does, like, she has the perfect, like, temperament about her, like, to be that person. Like, and you have to be, you know, you have to be very level-headed and just approach it the same all the time. And even if you're kind of sucking at the beginning of the match, like, if you're able to work your way out of it, I think that's what makes people special. Mm-hmm. How about that block? You know, as a, as a middle blocker, how about that block at the end to close it? Like, that was... That was yeah, fierce. That was <laughs> I think she was isolated too. I think UNO, I yeah, think UNO had Creighton fooled. You know what I mean? I think that you know because we talked about earlier how they were, they had Creighton kind of all over the net, guessing which way they were going. I think Nora got caught, you know, isolated there, and she came up with it. And it's like, oh wow, that's how they end it. That's incredible stuff right there. You know what I mean? That was just, just sent chills through you. Like holy that crap! Fun. Yeah, that, that was a fun one. What's it like when you're isolated on the net like that? When you when you know your when you know your teammates didn't read it the same way that you did because either you made the mistake or they did. So you're like, uh oh, and yeah. you have to you have to deal with an in system ball like that and you put it down. What's that like? It's fun. It's a good time. Well, it's it's actually like 
it's kind of nice sometimes because you just have like the liberty to like dive a lot so like if you just read somebody you can just like dive big on them and usually it results in a stuff block if you read it correctly so I think that part of it's kind of nice obviously like when you're in a normal like blocking transition you're waiting for the middle to close and you're trying to take space and everything but sometimes you can just like be really aggressive and just trust your instincts and I think mm -hmm. those are the blocks that are really fun because you just know like you should have been beat but you you beat them so I think that's a part of it that's like really rewarding in those situations gotcha so how tricky is how tricky is it from Creighton's standpoint because I think um I referenced 22 to 19 a lot because that's kind of where things changed a little bit in this match when you look at, I think UNO was out hitting Creighton 238 to 200 at that point in the whole match. And the rest of the match, after 22 to 19, after Creighton called that timeout, Creighton out hit UNO 393 to, I think, 212, something like that. So obviously, Creighton got better offensively, but what did they do from a blocking standpoint, from a defensive standpoint, that allowed them to make UNO less efficient? Did they just get comfortable with that tempo and you know, they could kind of read tendencies a little bit better. How, how do you feel like they played themselves into that match from a defensive standpoint? I mean, I think they tried to make adjustments. Like, I know Kendra, there was one that she got, like, a big stuff block, and she was, like, all the way released to the pin, and that was an adjustment that you kind of saw them make because they were getting burned going off hands or um, kind of swiping it off of them with that, that quick tempo. So um, they made adjustments there, and then, I think it's it's a feel too like in because you don't see that right like they're not used to really seeing that that much tempo in their gym every day and none of the teams they've played have really you know ran things quite that fast I don't think um so I think it's just a feel for it and then like a lot of times when the ball's coming that fast you're just hoping you get touches because you might you might not be over and have two blockers set up because it's so fast you're just hoping you get touches and your defense can kind of run behind you and um, put that ball back up on the net so you can run all three of your hitter options. So I think they started doing that a little bit better and um, more efficiently. And I mean, just slowing down that ball because it comes so fast and then just slowing it down a little bit for your defense is so helpful. And um, just slowing the game down on your side, I think is really helpful. And then allowed Creighton to just kind of run what they wanted to, to run. Take us through uh, what Kirsten's uh, trying to convey here in match. Because you see her, there was a lot of times there where she's kind of like communicating the blockers in terms of hand position, hand placement, and things like that. What's going on there in terms of that dialogue? What she, what message is she trying to convey there? Well, I mean, the main place that they were getting beat was down the line. So if that was either on hands, they actually hit it down the line, or, um, you know, they like swiped it off, like left, and took advantage. So I think, I mean, the main thing is have a strong right hand, like, release all the way out to the pin a lot of times you'll just release all the way out to the pin with that fast tempo and then you'll kind of like jump back in so your hand basically wants to be like like wrap it like you think about like wrapping the ball and protecting like the sideline that's most likely what was being discussed because they were just getting burned on the line and they didn't hit much like cross court because crane does have some big blockers so i think that's a little bit harder and with that fast tempo, you're going to get, like, housed if you hit it straight into the block. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> just going hands or going offline, I think, was what they were trying to do. And they're really efficient at it. So Creighton, I think it took them a while to slow down, probably, like, longer than they hoped, you know, it yeah. would to make that adjustment. Um, but they did get they did get their outsides a, a couple times by releasing all the way out and kind of just wrapping their hand all the way um, yeah. down that line. 
And I think you could see it in the amount of touches they were starting to get too. I mean, it's not just, I think, you know, they got tooled a few times, but I think that's kind of, I don't know if that's the kills they were going to live with, but I think they'd rather make sure they're getting touches, especially really hard ones. Cause it's not like they got, you know, tooled badly. They just got tooled and it kind of dropped to the side of the net. You know, there were, I think even Creighton challenged one um, that just dropped inside or just dropped outside the line, you know? So I think they were getting better touches as the match wore on, but I think they would prefer, I think they were, they were prepared to take that as like, all right, if you're going to score, this is how you're going to score. As opposed to you just peppering, you know, that back row defender that's covering line right there, because there's not much of a chance they can get that up. And even if they get that up, it's likely going into the stands. You know what I mean? So I think that they, they, that's kind of what they were living with though. Cause it was tough to deal with that tempo. I mean, Kiara Reinhardt mentioned it in post match that it was really hard to, guess where they were going and and get there in time, you know. So from a blocking standpoint, I think it was a really challenging match for Creighton. But I think considering they got better at it as the match wore on, and even ending the match on a solo block, I think again, this is one of those things that's kind of kind of reinforce some things for them as, you know, as they deal with that as the season goes on, especially when they face it again um, you know, in December and things like that too. Right. Yeah, for sure. I think for running a fast tempo, like when a team runs a fast tempo, one of the hardest things as a middle blocker is like deciding where to go. I mean, you essentially are guessing where to go. Like mm-hmm. usually mm-hmm. you would want to stay balanced and read where the setter sets it and release and go block, but you don't have time. So especially when you and all ran like that fastball outside to the pin and then they were in a slide behind, mm-hmm. I mean, you have to decide where to go. And um, a lot of times it'll be like, you know, trust your instinct or maybe from a scouting standpoint, they'll be like, okay, like we want you to go outside. Um, but yeah, it, it's hard. And that's one of those things where you have to make a decision and, um, you know, sometimes you get rewarded and sometimes you don't. And then you're, you're left with a hole in the block or, um, you know, you're trying to come off and get a tip as a middle or something if they tip it. So, um, mm-hmm. it just creates a lot of chaos, um, for the team trying to defend them. So that's why it works when, yeah. when, when it works. So here, I don't want to get too sidetracked because we, I think we have, I have a lot that I want to go through here, but I am kind of curious about this from a, from a, from a, like an inside volleyball perspective. So can you, you're, you know, as a middle blocker, right side, you know, front row player, tell me what the priorities are when you're reading, when you're reading that front row, when you're reading that attack. Are you looking at hitters? Are you listening for calls? Are you reading the setter only? Are you watching where the ball kind of got passed to? That kind of area. Like, can you break down what what you're prioritizing when you're trying to figure out how to make your reads as a blocker? Um. Yeah. I mean, the first thing you want to do is find the ball. So, like, where the pass is. So, if the pass is off the net, or let's say like the the pass is off the net and they're pulled forward, they'll most likely go to the outside. So then you're taking a step or two like to your right to go to the outside. Um, if it's right on, if it's a great pass right on the net, and let's say there's three hitters, then your your first responsibility is the middle blocker, obviously. So um, if you're commit blocking, like you have to go where they go. So if they run like a thirty one, which is in the gap between an outside and like the middle of the court then you have to shade over. Um, and then like, if they set it back behind them, then you'd have to try to like close, but it's really far. So you're usually like trail blocking and just trying to get a hand on it. Um, 
Yeah. So basically you find the, where the pass is and that kind of dictates what they do. And then you, you see the setter. A lot of times you can like, if their hips are pointed like out, um, or if they're not, or, you know, they're really squared up to the middle, maybe they'll hit the middle, like even if they're off the net a little bit. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, you just try to find the ball again and then you just try to find like the hitters approach. So that's kind of the last part of it. And then, um, get your hands over the net, obviously, and try to like take away what their like power shot would be based upon like where their approach is coming at you. It's really fascinating because that does that seem complicated? <laughs> well, the complicated part of it is what like you, everything everything you just described happens in a very short amount of time. That's what's yeah. fascinating about it. You know what I mean? Because once that first pass comes, I don't think it takes. I'm trying to think. I should probably stop watch it sometime, but I don't know if it takes. I don't know if it takes two. I don't know if it takes a full two seconds before the ball's coming at you. Does it? From the pass to the set to the hit, how long does that usually take? What do you think? What's what if you're counting it in your head? I don't know. It can't uh, be two seconds. Do you think if the pass is good too? Yeah, especially maybe, if, especially yeah, if running tempo. Two seconds, but. Yeah, I just yeah, it depends on what tempo and I'll, like it depends too, like on the pass. Like if it's a free ball, a lot of times you'll try to like pass quickly, so you'll have good mm -hmm. tempo on your pass so that you can even mm -hmm. have your offense beat the blockers on the other side. So, yeah, like those types of situations, it's hard in serve receive, or like when that team is serve receiving and you're playing defense, it's a little bit easier because obviously that serve comes over and typically, I mean, you want. Yeah they want a perfect pass but like you're set up there and then you're ready for whatever like your first priority to run at you but if you get pulled off like you know if the setter if the server gets them out of system a little bit it's a little bit easier you kind of like relax more and then maybe make a more like dynamic move if they're setting the ball far and you kind of can track it out and have a little bit more time mm -hmm. gotcha well that makes perfect sense so it is and then the last question on this note is uh you know the hitters are falling out you know, shots from the setter, right? So some of that's a decoy. Um, but they're all moving, right? So I imagine, I imagine it's all designed to tell the setter, "Hey, I'm ready for this," and then the setter decides, right? It's not necessarily the setter doesn't have to listen to that, right? Like if now it's like if the, if the left pin is calling a number, you know, she can set the middle or set the right side still, right, or the back row. So, um. Is that how much does that serve to fool a defense when those those parts are all in motion, especially when you get an in-system ball and then the setter doesn't have to move very far off the net? You know, how tough is that to read? Because you're seeing multiple things here and trying to guess which way the setter is going to go because she kind of has she, you know, it's one of those things where she's going to have two or three options. It's not a bad set that you can predict or a bad pass that you can predict. Sorry. Yeah, if it's really hard, and I mean, that's a lot of times, like, you'll see, like, wherever the middle runs, so, like, a middle runs a one, which is right on the setter, basically in the middle of the court, mm -hmm. then it creates a longer distance for, assuming that the middle blocker on the other side is going to stay with that middle, which typically they would, unless if, like, somebody just isn't efficient, then they might be like, I'm out, yeah. um, but then it creates a longer distance for that middle blocker on the other side to close to the outside. And so then the same thing on the other way, like if a middle is running a 31, then it's a longer distance for that blocker to close to the backside. So that's mm -hmm. when it gets like hard. And a lot of times you'll run your middle and then maybe you shift your outside in because now there's a gap they can like come in and maybe the blocker on the other side is now like all the way out to the pin. So like that's something UNO maybe could have done because Creighton 
moved all the way out to the pin, right? So yep. she's all the way out. If they mm-hmm. ran like a gap set and dropped it inside a little bit, they might have been been able to hit the gap between the middle closing and then that right side trying to like come in because they're too far out and not like in their path of their approach. Gotcha. God, I can't wait for you your first match. When is that again? What, what's your first uh, one? I think it's like the 24th, right? Or something like that. I mean, I, yeah, I think it's in like two weeks. Say, yeah. Or next, is it next week? I don't know. I, uh, I don't I don't think it's next. I think it's I think it's conference play. It's not next conference, week. Conference. Yeah, it's conference. So yeah, a couple weeks. Um yeah, where you get to talk about you can talk like that for two hours. I'm gonna watch that over and over again. Shouldn't sit here with a notebook, like, oh, okay. <laughs> um so all right. know about the middle blocker. <laughs> <laughs> Um, let's isolate some individual performances here because my lord, there are a ton of just eye popping, eye popping from a number standpoint. They're eye popping anyway. I know that the players are a little bit more critical of their performances because when they see volume, they just think I had a lot of you know, I had played a lot basically. They don't always think of it, they don't always think of it as the greatest thing in the world, even though we do. Um, so starting with Nora Sis, uh, this you know in the two matches against Florida State and Omaha, she averaged she averaged four point nine kills per set, three point two digs per set. So, <laughs> so she's basically, you know, high volume pin hitter and a DS is basically what just happened there. She had a career high twenty eight kills versus Florida State. We did mention the program record ninety three swings though. Then she was upset with her error account too. I think she had. 12 errors in that match. But she only had four against UNO, and I mentioned the four when they came. They came early. They came in her first 28 swings. She didn't make any errors in her last 30, and that's just incredible for a pin. To have to have 30 swings without being blocked, hitting it long, hitting it wide, that's crazy to me. And 15 kills in that span is, is just wild. For a pin to hit 500 on 30 swings, I mean, I don't know if I've ever seen that. <laughs> And then the other cool part of it is she had two 20 kill, 10 dig performances here. So she had, tw- I think she had 28 and uh, crap. I didn't write down the individual dig numbers. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. But yeah, she had two, she had 20, she had over 20 kills and 10 digs in each of the matches. I think she had 19 and 28 in the first match and then 21 and 13 in the second one, if I'm remembering correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, so in her first 42 matches of her career, she had three 20 kill, 10 dig performances. She almost doubled her her total there. What's when you're watching Nora? Are you seeing, you know, just a progression there? Do you see, you know, someone who's kind of starting to, I I don't know how to put it because she's not, she's not arrogant. She really is not. I I mean that when I say that to people listening. But, you know, I think she's starting to believe in herself a little bit more, especially more than she was at this point last year. Like, I think she knows, like I said earlier, I think she's starting to believe that she's she's kind of a badass and that, you know, and that she can take over matches if she needs to and if her team needs her to. Do you, are you starting to see that a little bit? Is it starting to become apparent to you as a former player when you're looking for, you know, tendencies in, in, in a star player like that? Yeah, you know, I don't know if it's part of her kind of like accepting just like how much impact she has, you know, as far as scoring points goes um, or what it is. Maybe it was a change in her mindset just a little bit. But yeah, I think she's that player for creating that it's going to, you know, take over matches. And I think 
Um, you've seen her do that. And even if she starts a little bit rocky, I think the way that she's been finishing and just continuing games and getting better and better is really impressive. And um, I think, yeah, if she starts to believe that she is, you know, kind of that player that can carry them, I think really good things are going to happen for her. I'm really fascinated to kind of dig into her background a little bit because I'm, you know, how much work she's put in because I think she was, I think she was a really highly touted player at the end of her high school career coming in. And then I think in the fall, in fall camp last year as a freshman, she kind of surprised even Peyton's coaches, you know, with her, with their initial impressions when they saw her in the gym, finally it's like, Oh, this kid's really good. I don't think, I don't, I don't, I swear. I don't know if everyone who evaluated her and everyone who recruited her thought she would be this good in high school. I don't think that's, I, I, pretty confident that's not the case so i think this is all kind of i don't want to say late bloomer because she's not you know an athletic freak but she's really good and i don't think i don't know if everyone who evaluated her thought she would be this good this early so it's it's kind of i'm wondering what it what it took for her to get to this level this soon she's not even halfway through her sophomore year yet and she's already been on the olympic team you know, she's already been on the U20, and she played a big role on the U20. It wasn't like she was a U20 roster filler. She was a U20, like, you know, let's go to this kid. She's putting the ball down, you know. Like, there was there was a big role for her. And just for it to happen this quickly, I think, is, is pretty crazy to me because I don't know. Again, I don't know how many people thought when, you know, when they watched her in AAU or in, not AAU, but in club and uh, high school that, that this was what Creighton was getting as, you know, especially as a sophomore. Yeah, she's been impressive. You know, I don't know if it, that's part of just like kind of how she like her demeanor, I guess she just kind of goes about her business and mm-hmm. like takes care of things. And she's not I don't want to say I mean, she's flashy, I guess, because she's very athletic. But like at the yeah. same time, she's not like a flashy like player. Mm-hmm. That's going to be like the one. I don't know, like these big emotional like moments and like huge blocks slide on your knees, like pump up the crowd. Like she's not that type of person. I think she just she does her stuff and she does it at a really high level and um, it's impressive, but it's almost like kind of, she goes about it a little bit quietly, I feel like, which is fine. I just feel like that probably fits her personality, but obviously she's in here with more than 20 kills and, you know, 10 plus digs in every set and leading the team in points usually um, scored um, for all these, all these matches. But yeah, I think it'll be fun to see like where she goes because she is so young, which is crazy. Yeah. It'll be, yeah, I wonder if she is scratch, just scratching the surface. That's kind of scary. But uh, you know what's funny about her, too, is, like, she freaks out more when her team scores, like someone else. Mm-hmm. When someone else puts a bond on her, gets a block or whatever it is, she'll lose her mind more for that than, will, than she will for her own kills and stuff like that. And I think that's kind of cool about her, too, because it kind of just shows you. I don't know. As, you, as her teammate, I think that's probably got to make you feel good. When you know, like, the you know, I think everyone on her team knows she's, number one now you know what i mean i think that's kind of i imagine the teammates your teammates know when they have a stud on their hands before the opponent does right so and and from watching them in practice this year like that i think i even tweeted it out too which i always feel bad about sometimes because you put those expectations out there and you're always uh you wonder if that goes backwards or not but i don't think she's just going to be a big east player of the year candidate i think she's going to be national player of the year candidate at some point and watching her in practice my my takeaway 
it's kind of funny. My takeaway is like, all right, either Creighton is horrible defensively, okay? Like either they just either they just can't block or dig for anything, or she's gonna be something. Because like because there will be there will be stretches in practice when they're going six on six, and she's just unstoppable, you know. And you're just like, wow. So that's that's the thing that goes through your mind. You're like, either she's about to burst onto the scene and shock some people that think she's just kind of a, you know, an okay, good mid-major type player who, you know, is it has a second team All-American ceiling and 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 that's kind of it, or she's a she's a legitimate bad 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 one and you got to watch out like she's about to you know be dangerous here. So those are the kind of things that enter your mind. It's kind of funny. So. I think so far what she's done so far is uh, kind of just reinforces what I saw in the, you know, in the fall camp that a Creighton's really good defensively. We saw the 129 digs and yeah. also Nora's really good too. So, I mean, anytime you're putting up five kills per set is just, you're, you're doing damage. So uh, the next one I want to talk about is Keely Davis. Um, So here's like two interesting things to me. Because the other thing that was translated that was that was kind of like becoming apparent in the fall in practices and whatnot is that Keeley is really good at passing. So she's, you know, and that was one of the things that she didn't do earlier in her career. She was just a, you know a front rotation like here's the ball, go put it down kind of player, right? Um, and then at the, towards the end of her freshman year, she started playing more rotation, started playing more back row. But right now she's hitting right now on the season she's hitting two forty. She's averaging 2.95 digs per set. Those are both career highs for, you know, for season totals. So she's – it's it's starting to translate in the numbers that she's playing the best volleyball of her career. And this is the toughest stretch of the season for Creighton because the non-cons are always stacked, right? So, you know, no disrespect, no disrespect to the Big East, but this is where – this is where Creighton truly gets, like, the hardest test they'll face is August, September, you know, early October, things like that. So – for her to play at this level, I think is is it, it it it's indicative of how much she's put into it, and that she actually truly has leveled up. It's not just about you know playing time; it's about skill set and everything like that. Um, so I don't know. You play with Keely. You were a teammate. You've watched her a lot over the years, obviously from watching matches. Do you think this is that she's starting to kind of break through, and this is you know unquestionably the best version of her we've seen? Um, throughout her career for sure and I think I mean there were times like last season um I think she struggled a little bit offensively at times and I think this year just like all around her play just the level has has risen for all the skills and I think that's something that she didn't she didn't do she didn't do everything really well all around like when she was younger I don't think but yeah the way that she's playing right now I think you know she's good for you know, 15 kills, 10, 15 kills every game. And she's in there for, she had 16 digs against UNO. And um, behind the service line too, I think that's an area that she's probably the best on the team. Um, just as far as getting aces and getting yeah, you can, you can, that sort of thing. You can remove so. the probably from that. I don't even think it's a question. She is, right? okay. I, I, think I think she might, I think she might be one of the best servers Creighton's ever had, honestly. Like I really do. Yeah, she's very efficient, and I mean, she I think at the same time, you watch her things are out of system all the time. And as much mm -hmm. as aces are great, like yeah. getting a team out of system is more important a lot of times right. than getting aces and aces and aces. So I think that part of it is really impressive. And um, 
hitting too, I think she's been efficient. Like she hit 367 against UNO and had 30 attempts, only made two errors. And I think a year or two ago, you might've seen, you know, a few more errors, might see double or more errors. But I think she's being smart offensively and just, yeah, all around. I just think she's definitely playing her best volleyball and um, they need her to, too. They need that, that person in that second slot to kind of carry points and um, get kills for them. Yeah, and she had a career high twenty five digs against Florida State too, which is pretty wild for someone who has to hit the ball as much as she does. Because you think about how many times she's first contact and third contact. You know what I mean? That's just craziness. So, um, what her and Nora are doing, honestly, as two two pl- two six rotation hitters. You know what I mean? They they don't leave the floor ever, <laughs> and they <laughs> take the most they take the most swings, and then they're gonna they're gonna have the ball hit at them the most. You know what I mean? In terms of being targeted and serve receive. So like whichever one of them is in the back row is likely getting targeted by the other team. Um and then they also have to find a way to put the ball down too. I mean they're they're the, the load they're carrying for Creighton right now is remarkable. And it's only exceeded by what they're doing from an efficiency standpoint offensively. So that's they're 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 a humongous reason why Creighton is seven and two right now and why they're, you know, few points away from being eight and one um Kendra Waite <laughs> speaking of another sophomore who is if not already is really close to earning superstar status 59 assists and 36 digs have you ever heard of such a thing I mean first of all both were career highs by far no, well not by far her career high in assists before that was 54 so she exceeded oh. that by five but her career high in digs before the Florida State match was 21. She had 36. So, I mean, I don't know what's more fun to watch about her blocking, setting, or, or, or defense. But, man, it's hard to argue against defense right now. She covers so much ground. She's always there to back up blockers. Like, when you think that ball is going down, here she comes squirting into the scene, just putting her hands in there to get the ball up, keep points alive. Um. She's a lot of fun to watch, right? Yeah, I think so. I think defense is so fun to watch. Like, her playing defense is so fun, I think, for me to watch. I think that's probably my favorite thing to watch. Um, just because she's she's very tenacious on defense, and setters aren't always, right? Like, a lot of times, setters can be a liability defensively, but I think she's yeah. such a great defensive player that even if the ball's coming, you know, back there and, and then she can't have that second contact, I think, you know, you're usually in good hands because she's getting a good touch and putting it in a good spot. Um, yeah, and then the assist too. I mean, you said she had a record, and then she had 58 against Omaha too, which I guess would have previously beaten her old record too. So, yeah, she's just doing it all for them, and um, obviously a huge part um, of the team. And you know, touches just about every ball on every every uh, rally they put over the net. So it's impressive to just see what she does. I think tenacious. Um, tenacious. Tenacious is a good word for her because you'll see her like take herself out of a play the dig and then you'll just see her just race back into the scene as quickly as possible to get reset so because you know usually if the setter is taking that first contact and it's, it's taking her you know into the scorers table or out of bounds into the benches and things like that you know Creighton's not likely getting a good in-system swing there so you have to kind of prepare yourself from Creighton's standpoint to have the ball come back at you and the way she puts herself back in the play after those those moments to get ready to reset everything for Creighton and make sure they're in system on the next one. That's, that's pretty impressive stuff too, because 
It just looks so taxing physically when you do that. You know what I mean? Like, you don't, it doesn't look like you should be able to get up that quickly and get yourself back reset as fast as she does. But if you, like you mentioned, that tenacity is just kind of innate with her, right? She'll get a dig. She'll die. She'll, she'll, she'll be on the floor when the ball's coming up. Honestly, she'll be on the floor still for that third contact. And then all of a sudden she's there before the ball comes back. You're ready to go, you know, back in the right position where she needs to be defensively in order to take away their tendency, um, which whatever, whatever they're doing in order to read the thing. And then she's setting up offense like that. It's just crazy to watch her because if you just spent the whole match watching her, it's just, it's crazy how she plays. You know what I mean? She's just always, she's got an impact on something. You know what I mean? Whether it's defense setting, blocking. I mean, she took, even she even took a swing out of system, out of system swing. And she got a kill. Yeah. Against UNL, like a full hack at it. Like, all right, Kendra. It wasn't like a setter dump. It was like a I'm swinging hard at this one. You know what I mean? She's she's incredible. Yeah, it's crazy. It would be interesting to see, like, every place she moved on the court during a match. You know what I mean? Like, every place she was, like, we were able to track how many miles she, <laughs> she was running around and all that stuff. Wouldn't that be so interesting? <laughs> oh, my goodness, yes. It would also be staggering to see it. You're like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. That's, that would be wild. Um, Kiara Reinhardt, I know, uh, these next two Megan's going to have a ball with because these are the middles now. So these are the middles and right sides. So Kiara Reinhardt and Kiana Schmidt, Kiara Reinhardt first. So obviously she's coming back from the back injury, right? That's a really tough deal. Um, when you sit out a whole year and you have to get yourself back, it's like, we, like I mentioned, this is Creighton's toughest part of the year. So this is where, you know. You're gonna face this is where you're gonna face the most unforgiving teams in terms of like, oh, you're not quite hundred percent. Cool, eat this. Um so for the first six matches, she averaged one point one four kills per set. She hit two sixty-six and she averaged an even block per set. In the last three matches against Nebraska, Florida State, Omaha, and again, these are three five setters in a span of four days. So it got progressively more exhausting as this as the weekend went on. She did not get less efficient. She hit, she averaged 1.73 kills per set, hit 323, and averaged 0.93 blocks per set. So she was right around where she was blocks per set, way above where she was in kills, and about 60 to 70 points above where she was, or 50 to 60 points above where she was in hitting percentage in those three matches. So I don't know. It's a small sample size, but it's also not because it was five sets all three times. Um I think she might be getting her groove back a little bit. Yeah, I look here still. I mean, yeah, against Florida State, she was super efficient. Zero, zero errors, nine kills, hit 450. So you won't complain about that. That's for sure. You could take that every single day um, from your middle. And then, yeah, against Omaha, I mean, she hit 263, which is pretty low. But, like, for a middle, I would say she made four errors. But – Still, at the same time, she's impacting the game a lot. And then, you know, she had six block assists in that in that game against Omaha, too. So, I think she's doing a little bit of everything. I think as they start to get more comfortable, um, just running their middles on, you know, every set in the book you could think of, I think it'll just be be really fun to watch. And um, right now, they're loving that slide for both the middles, and it's, it's working for them. So, um, if they can keep doing that at a high level, I think they'll have a lot of success. You know, she, not to make this weird, but I think she reminds me a little bit of you. But she is really fiery. You know, she'll get a block or a kill, and like she's gonna have a like a a, a big time fist pump, 
she'll probably drop the f-bomb in the huddle like she's like the let's fucking go you know <laughs> that's probably coming like you can see it yeah so i think she reminds me a lot about you because she like doesn't when she gets a point, whether it's block or a kill, like she makes sure it fires up her teammates. Like she'll turn right around and just like, you know, let's go. You know, she gets really amped up. I think that's pretty. I think that's good to have if you're trying to like balance out your, you know, your emotional pendulum as you go along. Like you, you know, if Nora's kind of like easygoing, always just you know, play with that joy, moving on from point to point, and not really letting one thing bother her at all. You know, and then Keely is like. Super enthusiastic, like probably the voice of the huddle right now because of her veteran status and, and, and the role she has. Yara is the one who's just like, you know, going to like <laughs> go time, you know what I mean? Like she yeah, seems like yeah. that type of player. Yeah. Yeah, I think you need to have that. That's for sure. Especially, yeah, you have a lot of other people. And um, it's easy. It's a little bit easier to, I think, like for that middle, like you're in for rotations usually so you get some rest you can come in and kind of like be that spark and so I think a lot of times like middles are people that maybe a DS that's in for three rotations they'll try to be those people that bring all the energy because obviously like Nora, Keely, um, Kendra they're expending a lot of energy for multiple hours continuously so I think if you get a break and you're able to come in and like be that spark and um, really try to impact the game I think like especially when I was a player like I'm like, okay, I have my three rotations in the front row. Like, let's go. Like, we're ready to go. And obviously, I've been sitting off to the side. So, I I am energized. I'm ready to go and um, score some points and, like, fire up the team. Yeah, it's very apparent. Kiana Schmidt is another player who's kind of coming on a little bit. <clears throat> Excuse me. I keep trying to drink water to get that out of my throat, but it's not working. Um, so, coming into the year, Sorry, I just coughed again. Um, God bless the <laughs> mute button. Um, coming into the year, she had never uh, she had never had back to back matches with with uh, double digit kills. Um, and then she did it against Wyoming and Wichita State. And then she also did it now in three straight matches. So from never doing it to now she's done it um, once against Wichita and Wyoming, and then now she's done it back to back to back against Nebraska, Florida State, and UNO. And the one before that, she had nine kills against UNI, so she just missed the four straight. But she's hitting 360 in her last four matches, if you include that UNI match. So when you're looking at – and she's 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 getting more of those pin plays, right? She's not always you know getting a lot of middle sets. She's getting most of her sets on the slide, which is interesting because teams scout that, <clears throat> right? So they're they're – designing their 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 pro their you know their their game planning to stop that from her because that's the play where she gets most of her kills is on that slide with Kendra. I don't know the percentage of it is but I imagine it's gotta be 80% or higher, right? The amount of times she's getting a kill off the slide. So for her to hit 360 on that play basically is what she's you know what you're looking at. Um that's really good because I imagine opposing defenses are scouting that and she's still terminating at a high clip yeah I'll, the one thing i'll say about the slide it's really hard to block a slide just because of the way that you have to chase the ball like the middle is chasing the ball so their approach doesn't tell you like where they're gonna hit because they're literally going i mean they're chasing the ball to the right and then they're like rotating in the air so you know if the ball dies inside or it you know floats outside i think that's the part of it as a blocker that's really hard 
mm-hmm. to like chase. And then she also elevates really well and she hits high. Yes. That's the thing about her. She will <laughs> maybe get right on top of the ball and hit it straight down, but she's going to hit those deep parts of the court because she's up so high and she hits mm-hmm. really high. So I think that's the other part that makes her really like difficult to defend um, on that specific um, slide hit. Mm-hmm. And then Ava Martin, um, who was really good in fall camp, you know, and you're looking at like, oh, you know, it looked a little Nora like. And I think Nora hit the ground running last year, maybe because teams were worried about Jayla and Keeley and, you know, um, Naomi Hickman. Um, so maybe Nora was able to kind of ease her way in. And that's kind of why her her offense was more potent, because maybe teams weren't as focused on her as they would have been if she was number one. So from Ava's perspective, she maybe she's not quite where Nora was last year in terms of um like how many options are in front of her, right? So she, you know, I don't know if that's the reason she got up to a slower start and and you know wasn't hitting high hands and you know kind of had to reset a little bit and had some performances that probably sapped her her confidence a little bit. Um, but in the first, so, but in the last four matches here, she's actually turned it in our last three matches. Sorry. She's actually, you know, really elevating here. So in the first six, she hit one Oh eight and averaged 1.4, one kills per set as basically that, you know, that, 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 um, that extra outside. So she's in the Keely role that Keely was in last year, essentially. Right. <clears throat> she's kind of the outside you'll bring off the bench. Um, but in the last three matches against Nebraska, Florida State, and UNO, she's averaging over two kills per set, and she's hitting two thirteen. So she's her hitting percentage is like a hundred points higher, um, and her kills per set are climbing too. So she's, you know, I think it's starting to come together for her a little bit here. You know, I know it's, I know nine matches is a small sample size in general, but six is also as well. So I think she's starting to come together, and and figure out. A, her role, and B, what she can kind of do to be effective when she's out there. Yeah, I think, I mean, it's really hard, obviously, like, as a hitter coming from high school. I think the one thing, like, the block is larger. Like, it's just a lot larger, and the defenses are a lot better. So, I think, (laughs) like, that's a part of it where you have to kind of learn how to be crafty and maybe, you know, a kill that would have worked and you could have just had a really powerful swing and scored on is maybe not going to work. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that part of it is is kind of a bit of a learning curve, um, just coming in and kind of learning. I think more it's like you have to think a little bit more um, about, you know, like what shots open, um, where like the defenses are and that sort of thing. Um, So I think that part of it is just like a little bit different. So I think she's continued to get better and um, she elevates really well and is very athletic. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, obviously that helps. And um, she has those options when she has a, has a really good approach and swings high and, um goes for hands and that sort of thing I think some of those things are different I know like at Creighton like we would train like swinging like high and flat for hands which is something that just kind of goes against I guess like what you're taught because obviously you think you're going to get up and like swing straight down or put a lot of power into it but I think there's a lot of different like shots that you you kind of have to learn um when you're faced Mm -hmm. with that bigger block yeah because well I think the fear would probably be if I mean for high hands and I don't hit the hands, this thing's going into the stands, right? So that's probably the worry. 
Yeah, exactly. Like that ball scoring and you just look like you have no idea what you're doing. <laughs> but I, I mean, that's part of it. And like, yeah. was, like I remember in practice, like having to practice that and you're just like hitting the ball so far and you're just like, this is not, this is not working. But I mean, when you get it, you can't defend it, right? I mean, when you get mm-hmm. those high hands and that ball is soaring, no defender is going to be that far back to get it. So exactly, it's really, it's really effective. Like Jayla is somebody that does that shot really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you see her score off that a ton. So, um, and then, you know, she just like Jayla is somebody that evolved too. Like she's hitting high hands, she's um, shoddy and that sort of thing where probably in high school, a lot more of it was like, I'm getting up and hitting it straight down. So I think, that part of it, especially for pin hitters that aren't always getting a great set or, you know, they're out of system or something, I think just evolving and kind of having all those little like tools in your toolbox, as they say, um, mm-hmm. is really helpful. I want to revert back to this in a second, but I just want to finish on Ava real quick. Um, the one thing that I thought was interesting against in the UNO match was she had a service error that cost Creighton a rally. Like they were coming, I think, what did they lose set for? Was it 25 23 they lost that thing? Or was it more than that? Yeah. No, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. So I think it was like 2320 and then Creighton pushed back into that and was, was making you and I'll sweat. So I think, I think it got the 2423 and Creighton had scored three straight points and Ava was back on the service line and she put it in the net and you could see it on her face. Like, I think she wears that disappointment. That's more obvious than you probably want. Like you mentioned volleyball players train that positivity. Ava is someone who will show you that she's a little bit disappointed there. And she did it in that moment, and it's like she just wipes that so quickly. I think that's what's interesting about her is she's got that short-term memory that I think an outside hitter and someone who, you know, is looks like they might be six rotations eventually in their career, but is definitely going to be targeted in serve-receive and is definitely going to be targeted by opposing defenses as she goes along because of how powerful she, her swing is and, and you know, how much of – um, the attack she'll be a part of eventually for Creighton. I, I'm impressed by the way she wipes that bad stuff away. You know what I mean? Like where she just I like how quickly she moves on to the next point, even though you can see in that moment that she's clearly disappointed. That she clearly knows she made a mistake. It's like, you know, she'll just do that. It, it, you know, she'll wear it on her face. She'll slap her hands. You know, she kind of just, she's very transparent in that regard, but she also wipes it away really quickly and, and, you know, makes up for it even faster. So I think that's kind of that's that's interesting about her, and I think it's going to bode well for her to to be able to have a short memory. Yeah, for sure. I think a lot of times younger players like that's one of the hardest things that you'll have to like talk about mindset with because mm-hmm. you can't dwell on anything, right? I mean, it's just a point by point game, and there's so many like swings of momentum and runs of points and on um, that sort of thing that a lot of people come in and they'll they'll dwell on things a while and like let it fester. But mm-hmm. I mean, to see her do that now just as a freshman is really, um, is great. And I'll be interested to see, you know, maybe like it changes to like, maybe you won't really be able to see like when she's frustrated as much mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. as she gets older and kind of like works into that. Um, and it just keeps working on that mindset. Okay. And now the point that I wanted to come revert back to that Megan brought up, because it's something that I think is really important with Keely. You mentioned being shoddy. I like that phrase. Mm-hmm. Is that a thing? Is that, mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna start using that from now on. <laughs> um, <laughs> Neely is really shoddy, right? Uh-huh. She, she is. Yeah. She is incredibly good at changing pace. When you think she's going after your hands, or when you think she's going cross court, or when you think she's going line, you know, 
that change of pace, just a little like soft touch over the block, drop straight down like a bomb onto the court where the D where the where the you know line defender can't get to it. God, she's good at that. She's so good at that. Yeah, she's gotten and I don't remember her being that good at it when she was younger, like when I played no. with her at all. So I'm sure that was something that she's been working on a lot, but yeah, she does that. She does that deep like roll shot into like the donut, which is like the middle of the court. That's the term mm-hmm. they use, the donut area. Yeah. Um, but she does that really well, and that's super effective, especially when she goes up and she. I mean, she has a lot of power, obviously, and so if she's kind of swinging away, um, with those powerful swings, and then she'll drop it in. I think that's just so beneficial because teams are just on their heels, ready, you know, for that hard dig to come their way, and then she'll just roll one in. And I think. Her timing, too, like, she picks her timing to do that, I think. Yes. She's really, really good at it. And um, she's probably, I mean, the best on the team at kind of changing it up. And your face yeah. is no question that she is. No but... question. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's yeah. really good at that. And I'm sure she's been working on it a lot. And it's it's really paying off for her. Yeah, I just love how unpredictable she is. Because like you mentioned, she, she does have a really powerful swing. But for, a, for an opposing, you know, locker... Or even and even a DS that's that's marking her, you know, you're like, she's someone who can put the ball fast and hard, and you know, like break my face with it basically if I'm not ready. And then she'll she's really she can tool the block, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So it's not like you can even it's not like you can tell yourself as a blocker from set up in front of her she's going tip, you know what I mean? Because sometimes she'll tool the block, so you know, so you in your mind you can't really tell what she's about to do to you, and she can go after hands. Like you said, she can find the donut. She can go line. She can go cross court corner. Um, but then when that that off tempo, like that off that change of pace tip comes, it's cr- the the thing that's crazy about that to me is it looks like th- it looks like there's no wasted space. And I don't know if I can explain that very well on a podcast, but she tips it with such with such a with such a like specific tempo. That it doesn't like it, it goes over the blocker's hands just enough to get over the blocker's hands, and then it just drops straight down after that. So it's like she's got that thing on a string where it's like, I'm not putting this too high over the hands where it's so obvious I'm tipping. I think that's what happens with a lot of tips. I think that's why coaches hate them, right? Like, don't tip <laughs> swing hard. There's a lot of tips, a lot of times, a lot of times when you see players tip, they just kind of like tap the ball over the block. And it's in the air forever, and a, and, a, and a DS can come and easily pass that thing and get a team in system. You know what I mean? And then you're then you're in trouble. She her tips are like just or just enough over the hands, straight down. Like I said, like a bomb. Like she just dropped it out of a out of a cargo hold, and a DS can't get to it. You know what I mean? It just it just drops right behind the blockers where they can't recover. You know what I mean? So I think that's what's really unique about her her tipping, and then. As you mentioned, and he caught us all the night being shoddy. He's she's got a full arsenal, and her off speed is really, really impressive. I just find myself even more impressed with it than I ever have been throughout her career. Yeah, it's impressive. And I think the thing to watch too, like when she does that off speed, is her approach is the same as if she were to go up and just like swing away. And mm. I think that's a part of tipping that people that are really good at tipping are really good at disguising it. So I mean, mm. she'll go up and she'll look like she's just ready to swing away, and then all of a sudden her her elbow will come forward and she'll just drop the tip in. 
Mm. Um, so I think that's the part of it that's that's hard. And a lot of times, like younger players too, like they'll go up kind of like less aggressively and then they'll like tip it and you can read it easily. But yeah. you take that full approach and come in like with all that power and then you just like off speed, a lot of teams are stuck like falling back. So mm-hmm. all right, it's something that's hard to do. I know like Marissa Wilkinson was really, really good at doing that. Like mm. she was somebody that I played with. She was really good at doing that on the right side and she would just drop it right over their outside and it would like mm-hmm. score almost every time. And you were just like, it's crazy. But yeah, yeah. people that are good at it are good at it. And she's she's doing it really well. For sure. I think the you know it was fun too or interesting too because you look at the UNO match and there were moments where UNO didn't take aggressive swings. Like there were there were moments where they tried to tip and be kind of, I don't want to say be cute with it because I think tipping is 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 a good, you know, change of pace weapon to have because you don't want to be too predictable. If you're going up there hacking the whole time, it's easy for a block to be like, all right, this is coming fast and hard. I know I got to be ready. Um, but you like there was moments where UNO's coaches were like getting so angry they were like slamming clipboards and like yelling like stop tipping. I think it's yeah. because I think, it, but I don't think they would ever. You can't ever say that to a Keely Davis because her tips are very potent. You know what I mean? It's because of her precision that we're talking about here. Like her tips aren't wasted shots. That's what I mean. Like so many, so many times, there are times when even I'm watching and I don't. You know, I'm basically a novice. I'm learning as I go. Where I'll see a player tip, and I'm like, that's not a good, that's not good. Because uh, you know what I mean? You're basically yeah. just sending oh, a free yeah. ball over, you know what I mean? It's where it's just, not there's yeah. that's a very low percentage shot. Like it's very, very unlikely that lands for a point. So you're basically just tipping it to a DS. And if they nail that pass, you're gonna eat that ball. Um, but with Keely, I hardly ever think that because her tipping is so precise. And like you mentioned, like you just broke down, her approach when she tips is the same as her approach when she bombs it. So from a defender standpoint, whether you're a blocker or a DS, you just don't you're you're just guessing basically every time you defend her. It's crazy. Yeah, that's it's hard to read. And yeah, for somebody that does it well and disguises it well, I think, you know, there's not a lot of people that'll like disguise it really well, but she just mm-hmm. drops that elbow forward at the last second and then the players are like, Oh shoot. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm not getting there, you know. So. Yeah. It's funny. They all they lay out like, oh god, I gotta get this, but it's it's too late because the way yeah, where she puts dumb. it is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's gonna do it for our analysis of the Omaha invite. Um, upcoming for Creighton is one more non-con tournament away from home before they get into Big East play. So next week and next weekend, sorry, um, it will be in Houston, Texas for the Rice Adidas Invitational. Creighton's a Nike school, right? Is there like is that? Can they play in an Adidas tournament? Is that okay? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> they have to like hide the swoosh or something. Like how do they? Uh, I have no idea. But Creighton wins a Nike. If Creighton wins an Adidas tournament, is there a conflict there? Like, do they have to? Are they going to get fined or something? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're playing Kansas State first. Um, and K State's off to an eight and two start to the season. Uh, the two matches they've lost, it lost at Loyola Chicago, who's, um, I think, usually around a 50 or 60 RPI type of team, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. So, usually pretty solid. And they lost a five-setter at UCF, who UCF's usually a pretty, uh, pretty stingy team, too. A team that kind of always mm-hmm. uh, makes the NCAA tournament, wins a match, that kind of thing. Um, so, that, that's who Creighton will play first. They play K-State at 2 p.m. on Saturday. 
And then they'll play a Rice team, which I, this one's really interesting because I've always wondered what would happen if Creighton and Rice played because Rice is like, I feel like they're both kind of similar. Like mm-hmm. Rice is kind of a team that, you know, isn't part of a power conference, but knocks off power conference teams constantly. You know, they, they have a long, I, I don't know about long tradition, but like they have a tradition that's about as long as Creighton's that where I feel like they've been really a really good program, you know. So, like, it's a parallel thing with Creighton and Rice. They've always kind of been good at the same time. I've always kind of wanted to see them play. So I'm kind of fascinated about this matchup here. So they'll be at Rice. Rice will be the host of this tournament. Rice is 8-1 and one this year, and their only loss is a five-setter at Oregon, who's a top 25 program. So um, that's mm-hmm. on Sunday at 1 p.m., and that's on ESPN+. Plus. Right now it doesn't look like the K-State match is being televised. So boo on Rice's part for not televising all your matches when you're hosting a tournament. Damn you. But this is going to be some good volleyball this weekend. K-State's usually a good program. I know you've played them a couple times um, in your career. And then, like I said, Rice is a team that I don't think you ever played, if I'm not mistaken, but they're always kind of good, right? Yeah, I know. I kind of just have the same, uh, I guess, understanding of Rice as you have. Like, I've seen them, you know, knock off some some good teams and stuff over the years. But I honestly don't know too much about them and then, yeah, K-State, I know we played K-State quite often, so really interesting to see. I mean, they're both having a good season so far, so yep. be some good competition before Big East play starts. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a really underrated tournament because I think everybody, you know, when they look at Creighton's schedule, they think, well, when do you play Nebraska, and then when's the Blue Jay Invitational, yeah. and then who else are you playing? I think this one has a chance to be one of the more – this might be one of the tougher tournaments Creighton plays in this, this year, just kind of a sneaky way. To, to springboard into conference play, just kind of get one last, um, you know, big time test. So I think I think K State and Rice are both teams that project to be NCAA tournament teams. You know, if they can have strong one, I, Rice I know will be, but K State is has to go through the Big Twelve, so that's always you know a tough proposition. But yeah, yeah, that's that's going to be interesting. I think this is going to be a good test for the Jays. Yeah, Wish we I could think- watch both matches. I know. I was like, I think they'll probably be pretty evenly matched, all the teams. Mm-hmm. So I think it'll maybe we'll have some more five setters in their uh, in the oh, future. <laughs> we'll see. You've been. Uh, you guys usually go pretty pretty long with K State, right? If they're even if it's a four set, it's usually some extra points in there, right? Like that's, yeah, that's a hard usually. team to put away, hard isn't team it? Put away, yeah, that's for sure. They're always yeah. good, so. Yeah. All right. So that's the weekend slate for the Jays. Um, Megan, did you leave anything in the holster? Did you, did you get anything else for anybody? I don't think so. Go Jays. Go Jays. <laughs> that was the last thing in the holster. All yeah. right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Um, as always, thank you to my co-host Megan Ballinger for uh, in volleyball they call it carrying the load. I think that's what. That's what Pearson said. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's the, when the when the star players have to carry a lot of load. So thank you to Megan Balance for carrying a lot of load on this podcast. And uh thank you everybody for tuning in and, and listening to it. So for Matt for Megan Ballinger, I'm Matt DeMarinas. Thank you, everybody. Hope you all have a good week. We'll talk to you soon. <laughs>